Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and I am joined by Keaton DeRocher for episode 249 of the show. Keaton, welcome back. What a hell of a series against the Yankees. Yeah, that was a good series. Strong series. Good. At least it ended on a high note. We're feeling good. Yeah, it ended on a real, real high note. So we're recording this on Monday night uh, as the Red Sox are taking on the Rays. Uh, Bayo is out of the game at this point. So uh, we're going to talk about the series that just occurred against the Yankees. We're going to hit on Bayo a little bit as well. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about this Red Sox-Yankees series, though, um, because there's just so many interesting observations uh, to be gleaned from this series. So first of all, um, you know, let's get started with the fact that the Red Sox were able to come up with a split in a series where uh, it didn't seem like they were going to be able to come up with a split. I mean, the first two games uh, just exposed a lot of the things that we've been talking about here with the Red Sox that we've been super worried about. Um, and then to recover and and get the split was just totally huge. 
Um, I thought that the last two games, and specifically game three of this series, uh, was the best game that the Red Sox have played all year. What do you think about that? All year? All year. I think it's the game of the year at this point. Interesting. Um, well, nothing else is coming to mind, so sure, I'll go with it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's first talk about the first game. So the Red Sox dropped the first game, uh, six to five, to the Yankees. Um, in this game, Winkowski got the start, gave up six stern runs, didn't look very good. Garrett Cole uh, was on the other side, so obviously you knew it was going to be a tough matchup, but. Uh, Rafael Devers uh, really, really, really owns Garrett Cole and hit two bombs off him for five RBIs. Uh, you know, he was responsible for every run, essentially, uh, that the Red Sox scored. Uh, what do you think it is about Rafael Devers uh, when it comes to Garrett Cole? He seems to just absolutely own him. Yeah, I think so. I just I feel like a lot of it just has to do with Devers just not being afraid of anybody, and there's there's just not a single pitcher that he steps into the box and thinks this is going to be a tough at bat, and that goes back to when he was first called up and hit an opposite field homer off uh, what was it 103 mile an hour fastball mm-hmm. from Aroldis Chapman uh, in the playoffs, <laughs> and like the dude or maybe that wasn't playoffs but it was in September felt like a playoff game, and um, like a guy that just that has nasty stuff like Cole, just he's not afraid of him. He'll he takes the pitches on the edges because he has a really good eye, so he makes Cole work uh, and forces him to make a mistake and then punishes him for it. And he really does that with everybody. And where other hitters may, uh, you know, start to lose the mental battle, stepping in the box knowing. Oh, well, it's Garrett Cole is really good. I'm going to need to have my best. He just steps in the, in the batter's box like it's any other at bat. And even then, I think we're both home runs off pitches that were not in the strike zone. The second one was definitely yeah. not. Yeah, uh, That was very low. He went down and got it. Uh, and I don't think the, the first one was in the strike zone either. <laughs> so it's like he was making good pitches and was like, cool, I'll still take these out too. So no big deal. I mean, yeah. this is what he's just done this constantly his entire career with Garrett Cole. And Garrett Cole is just terrified of him. You could see, too, in that first at bat, um, I can't remember exactly the sequence of the second at bat, but the first at bat, he got immediately two strikes on him. Devers battled back, got him to throw pitches around the zone, and then forced him to make, uh, you know, put the, the ball where Devers wanted it for him to take it out. And normally guys don't do that. And that bothers Cole. When he gets two strikes on a guy, he gets a strikeout. And he just whittles away and he's just a nuisance against Garrett Cole. And he hates it. And he's terrified of throwing him strikes because, I mean, even when he doesn't throw him strikes, he still hits homers. But when he throws him strikes, they're absolutely hit for bombs. So there's just nothing he can do. It's Yeah. I love to see it. Yeah, he's uh, he's just... On, an, on a different level right now, Devers. And, you know, we should also note that Devers was selected to be the all-star starter over uh, Jose Ramirez. So uh, that was a pretty big, big thing for Devers as well. I th- thought he actually deserved it. I know that Ramirez is having a hell of a season, but I think that Devers has been just a little bit better. So I was really happy about that. 
Um, I think the other thing that stood out to me in this particular loss uh, to the Yankees here was the fact that uh, defense reared its ugly head again. Um, you know, the the misplayed infield pop-up by Franchi Cordero uh, that turned into a double, um, and it was originally scored an error, but, you know, was, was changed back to a double for some reason. I don't really know why I thought it was an error, um, but, you know, that definitely ended up being maybe the deciding factor uh, in this game, which I thought ultimately was a winnable game. And I was a little bit disappointed that the Red Sox didn't win this first one because when you get a game like that from from Devers and really nothing else from from anybody else on offense, um, that was a little bit tough. I mean, that's I was looking at the box score um, because, you know, watching the game really didn't feel like anybody was doing anything else. And Aside from from Devers, there was just uh, three other people who got a hit. So uh, not a lot of offense to be had in that game if your name was not Rafael Devers. Yeah. And seeing that, um, I mean, they initially they went down 5 nothing, and seeing them, I mean, able to battle back, largely on the back of Devers, but, um, you know, other guys were able to get on for Devers to drive them in. Uh, and then, you know, battle back to 6-5 uh, in the fifth with still a lot of game left. You kind of felt like the Red Sox had the momentum at that point, but the, the Yankees' bullpen is really freaking good, and we're able to, to close out those last four innings. Um, but, you know, a little bit of foreshadowing of things to come. Yep, absolutely. All right, so uh, the second game of the series against the Yankees, this one wasn't particularly close. The Yankees end up taking this game 12-5 to against the Red Sox, who had Connor Siebold stepping in to pitch. Uh, he only went two and two-thirds innings, uh, allowed seven earned runs, ended up exiting that start with some forearm tightness and immediately went on the IL. So we don't exactly know the severity of that strain that he's got right now, but it's obviously not a very good thing. Um, on, on the flip side, though, Nestor Cortez, who's having a great year for the Yankees, went for them. Um, and he wasn't overly impressive, to to say the least. I mean, the dude walked a couple guys, gave up four runs, two home runs, um, eight hits total. So um, I was a little surprised because, you know, I was expecting Cortez to be a little bit better. I haven't really got to see a lot of his starts this year. Um you know, I just, for whatever reason, I just haven't watched him, but this is his big breakout year. And honestly, I wasn't impressed. What what was your thought about Nestor Cortez? Pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, he's been dominating, but then we didn't really get to see a lot of it. I mean, there's a lot of things that could go into that. It's the Red Sox are a really good lineup. They're a really good lineup at Fenway Park. Uh, Fenway Park is a goofy park. Um, it's difficult to pitch in. Um, still a young guy. Uh, so, I mean, I imagine the next time around, things will probably look a bit differently, uh, just because he's had that dominant of a year. This is really the first like bad start or like only bad start he's had all year. Um, he was in the mix for like locked in as the American league Cy Young for like, the first two months of the year. I think his ERA was under two for a really, really long time, uh, and was just racking up strikeouts, but, um, didn't really do much. The control was just not there at all which was a bit uncharacteristic for his starts um so i yeah it just kind of feels like maybe this was just the red sox got him 
Yeah, and it's also the Red Sox are a hell of an offense. Yeah. This this to me felt a little bit like the Rob Ref Snyder, uh, the beginning of the Rob Ref Snyder revenge tour against the Yankees because he was <laughs> yeah. he was drafted by the Yankees and he had four hits in this game and then obviously we'll talk about the the huge role that he had in the uh, upcoming games too the actual wins by the Red Sox but I thought he played incredibly well uh, in that game I've been really impressed with him I think we ought to talk about his role uh, for this team a little bit later in the show. Um, but the big story for this game, I think, aside from the loss, was the fact that Rafael Devers uh, did exit this game in the fourth inning with the low back tightness. And Rafael Devers has now sat out the last three games. So the two Yankees wins, or I should say the two Red Sox wins against the Yankees. Um, and uh, this this Tampa Bay game that's going on as we're podcasting right now. Um, how concerned are you about Rafael Devers' low back pain? Do you think it's like no big deal or do you think that this is something that you know the Red Sox really need to handle right now oh man um well they seem really confident that he's not going to need to go on the IL which makes me feel good about it but also this is a really tough stretch of game so I wonder if that was just them trying to be optimistic about getting him back in the lineup as fast as possible I don't want that to be the case, though, because as important as these games are, um, if risking him now means losing him for the month of August versus letting him sit out two weeks now and then having him the rest of the season, I'd much rather do that. Yeah, I'm with you. I I would rather be conservative. I was kind of expecting him to be back for this uh, game today. Uh, As we're recording this uh, against the Rays, I was a little bit surprised to see that he was still out of that lineup. Um, But I think it's the right thing. I mean, obviously, you've got the All-Star break coming up. If you need to use, you know, most of that time before the All-Star break to get him right or, you know, maybe you sit him for the rest of the Rays series and have him back for the Yankees series right before the all-star break. I think that's the right thing to do because I guess the thing that happened with him was it got aggravated from playing on the turf up in Toronto, which no surprise there. Turf sucks. Um, But yeah, I I think it's the right thing to do uh, for them to take care of it right away. Um, So on the pitching side, after Seabold exited that second game, Michael Feliz came in and pitched three and a third innings. Um, Feliz is only up on this team because Tyler Danish went on the IL uh, with a forearm strain. So just another guy uh, joining the IL. But that's not the fun thing that happened in this game. The the most fun thing, the only fun thing, I think, that we can really take out of this second game was the fact that we saw Jackie Bradley Jr. pitch. How sick was that? And got a strikeout on like a 57-mile-an-hour high cheese yeah that's well that's not his cheese his his cheese is 90 92 miles an hour and he says he wasn't even airing it out but that was a pretty hilarious uh strikeout from him apparently he threw four different <laughs> pitches according to uh Sox stats red Sox stats so what were they i i have no idea i have no idea what the four different pitches were but apparently he has them um, it's just crazy how good his arm is to come, I guess, uh, the only guy who threw a pitch harder in recent memory for a position player with the Red Sox was Mitch Moreland, who barely beat him out. I think Mitch Moreland pitched like 92.7 miles an hour 
and he was like low 92 or high 91 or something like that. But um, it was kind of awesome to see Jackie Bradley Jr. pitch. We all know what a hell of an arm he has. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So that's that's the only fun thing to come out of game two, in my opinion. Um, game three, which I have been calling the best game of the year here, um, was just the best. Um, I started watching this game at pretty much the perfect time because uh, I'm a new dad, so I have a, a one-year-old daughter. It's actually her birthday today as we are recording this. Um, and uh, I, I started watching basically right as Cutter Crawford exited the game. And I'm like, okay, um, you know, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be an interesting time here. And, uh, you know, it ended up being just about the best game possible. Uh, Yankees ended up scoring a whole bunch of runs. Um, and then the Red Sox just, had their massive comeback and it was just uh just a must watch a game um i i don't know what moment stands out to you the most in this game there are so many moments to talk about here we can talk about ref snyder we can talk about downs we can talk about verdugo being the man twice i mean what what kind of stands out to you in this game three victory yeah there was a lot um i think the totality of all three in the the tenth, though, um, really up until like the last week, right? It's felt like anytime the Red Sox go down, they're not really going to be able to battle back, and that's kind of the end of it. Either they need to get a lead and stay ahead, or um, it needs to be within like a run or two. Or not even two, because <laughs> like a two-run eighth, ninth-inning deficit has felt like insurmountable for most of the season. But it just kind of feels different as of late. But going into extra innings and with the Red Sox record in extra innings so far this year just being awful, um, giving up two in the top, knowing that you have to battle back, uh, and being able to put all three runs that you needed across the plate was awesome. I mean, Verdugo uh, and Downs uh, getting it done in the 10th to get those three runs, I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah, and uh, Downs' is winning run, too, when he came and dove across the plate on his belly yeah. uh, was exceptional to watch. The joy, the excitement, like the the amount of amped up that he was uh, during that play, it was just so incredible to see and for a guy who's really struggled here in his two years with Boston um, you know in their minor league system really hasn't been the kind of guy that we were thinking that he would be you have to think that this game was just massive for his confidence as well um, but you know a, a couple things stand out to me that Rob Ruff Snyder home run um, in the sixth inning to uh, bring the game within one run so it made it three to two Yankees at that point that, that ball was absolutely car. yeah. That thing was annihilated. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, as soon as he hit it, I was like, "Oh God!" There, <laughs> Rob is feeling himself right now. Um, yeah, that that was about as hard a ball as I've seen hit at Fenway this year. It seemed like. Yeah, I mean, you might be right. I mean, it's it's pretty close to um, the story Grand Slam over the monster. It was pretty similar. 
both of them yeah. were low and just launched. Uh, but I think Russ and I are going further. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. It just it felt like it got out really fast. I should have looked up the uh, exit velocity and stats on it, but he just barreled the hell out of that ball. So that was really nice to see. And then the the confidence that we've seen from Verdugo um, in this game, you know, tying it up in the eighth was huge. And then, you know, coming on and uh, obviously, you know, scoring the, the winning runs with his single uh, to right field at the end of the game. That was huge, but I think just like the confidence that he's playing with at this point, we have been talking about him all year long. He got off to a really hot, hot streak at the very beginning of the year, and um, I had so much faith in him. He was my guy. He was um, the the guy who I picked in my superlatives for like unsung hero on this team for this year, and it, he's just been getting kind of jobbed by BABIP and some other things. He's been very unlucky. Uh, aside from his start. So it's been really nice to see him over the last couple of weeks just really start to get it going. And clearly the confidence is there. And I thought that even his post-game quotes about like wanting to shut up the Yankees fans uh, at Fenway Park because they were getting really loud. And I mean, when when I was watching this game, um, and especially it stood out in game four, I think, when the Yankees were up uh, quite a number of runs. I think when they were up 6-2 in game four, which we'll talk about in a second, but uh, Yankees fans were like louder than Red Sox fans for a little bit at Fenway Park. And when that happens, it's just like, okay, you really got to do something about it. And it was nice to see Verdugo respond like that. And I just feel like he has that sort of clutch gene in him, uh, which is really nice to see. Yeah, that's a great quote. I mean, there's really nothing else you'd rather hear. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Downs getting that single as well. Um, you know, D- Downs, man, like, it was just, it was, it was crazy to see him look so confident. Like at no point did I, did I watch Downs and be like, oh yeah, this is the guy that's been struggling in AAA for the last two years. He just looked different. And I, I guess we should note too, that over the last month or so at AAA, he's actually been playing really well. Like his stats have been markedly better. He's he's playing the best baseball he's probably played since he's gotten here. But the fact that he was able to kind of carry that uh, up to Fenway, uh, knowing that he was going to get this start, uh, that was pretty big. And I mean, he, he basically got to the ballpark at 20 minutes before the game um, because he had to drive up from Worcester. So... I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And it's always, uh, you know, a little bit poetic to have a guy named Jeter be the one to stab the Yankees in the back. <laughs> it's perfect. <clears throat> it's absolutely perfect. All right. So let's move on to game four. Uh, game four of the series, 11 to 6 victory for the Red Sox. Uh, this one's started to look real bad uh, from yeah. the very jump. You, so like, you said that game three was like the best game the Red Sox have played. I think this was the most fun I've had watching a game. Just for how much of a disaster it was for the Yankees. There's just there's nothing else I love watching more than just the Yankees be really bad at playing baseball. And it was quite enjoyable <laughs> to watch. So so break it down for me a little bit here. Uh, the Yankees go up in this game... Uh, they were up four to nothing at the very beginning of the game off of Stanton Homer and a couple other things. 
And then how did the Red Sox end up staging their comeback and what made it so enjoyable to you? Well, um, pretty much we got to the fifth inning and then from then on, it was just yakety sacks in the field. Um, and it was just a comedy of errors. And officially there were two. That's a bit generous. I think there was definitely three, probably four. Um, there was also some base running mistakes that they made as well. It was like they just forgot how to like the collectively as a team, they just forgot how to play baseball. And it really allowed the Red Sox to climb all the way back in and then take the lead and, you know, extend it out. And then they got helped out by some strikes that weren't strikes, which was really kind of like the cherry on top of like getting jobbed by the umpire, which happens to everybody. But, you know, everybody gets upset about it when it's not not their team. So. Well, wasn't it Boone yelling six fucking balls? Yeah, or something I mean, like that. He was right. They were, but <laughs> then he was going to enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's always good to see Boone get ejected because I'll just yeah. never forgive Aaron Boone for 2003. So yeah. anytime uh, he's not doing well, I take joy in that. And at that point, the game was tied. Um, and I, well, I think it was Stanton was it the one that got called out on um, three strikes that weren't strikes. Yep. So there was still a chance for them to like swing momentum their way. But then they, <laughs> that strikeout happened and he got run. And then the Yankees were just like, this is just not our game. And then just completely collapsed. And then um, their best defensive infielder just collapsed. G.J. LeMahieu made two big goofs. Yep. Uh, Red Sox got a bunch of runs off of them. Um, and then um, I forgot who was at third at the time. Um, Donaldson skied one. Yeah, that was, real, that was really uncharacteristic because he kind of double clutched it in his glove too. Yeah. And that allowed another run to score. Um so it was just a mess and there's nothing better than watching a team is just cocky as the Yankees just play absolutely awful, awful baseball. Uh, and it was just a great way to end the series. <laughs> it's a great yeah. way to wrap up a four game series with the Yankees is just, just little league ball all the way around after taking a, four to nothing and six to two lead and ended up allowing nine unanswered runs to, to lose. Yeah. It was a little bit of a, our Colorado Rockies better than your Colorado Rockies situation too, with LeMahieu getting the two errors looking like an absolute giraffe in the field, running backwards on both of those balls and just yeah. unable to do anything about it. And then, uh, Trevor Story, on the other hand, coming up and having that massive double uh, to, to break the game open. I mean, at that point, Red Sox had gotten the lead 7-6 to six on the down sacrifice fly, and then he comes in in the seventh and, and has that huge double make the game 10-6. to six. So, I mean, that was when you really felt like, okay, the game is in hand at this point, unless the Red Sox really kind of collapse here. You know, they're going to take a split, but I was... I'm not going to say I wasn't nervous for the rest of the game. I definitely was because we've seen this bullpen too many times uh, cough up leads. But I thought that Alex Cora managed both games uh, three and four of this series exceptionally well, very, very aggressively. I thought he was tremendous with uh, how he managed the bullpen uh, in, in both of those games. And I also thought like, you know, putting Jeter Downs in in game three, um, 
for uh, JD Martinez was was a pretty bold move at that time to take JD Martinez's bat out of that game. Um, and I think ultimately, like everything that he did was was really good. Um, you know, uh, during this game, I thought it was just like during both of these games, I thought that um, you know him being the pinch runner was was the right choice. I thought that when he uh, got the start. Um, or when he was when he was in the fourth game playing defense, he made that absolutely sick uh, barehanded uh, yeah. catch and throw. Um, I mean, he just pressed all the right buttons. Uh, and and even the the Rob Ref Snyder pinch hit uh, or pinch hit appearance, I thought that was the right move, even though it didn't work out. There was just a lot of things that went right for them, and then a little bit of. Uh, Caleb Ort revenge against the Yankees too. He was a rule five pick from the Yankees and came into the game and pitched almost two innings of scoreless ball uh, for, for the Red Sox after Nick Pavetta got hit around. So, um, you know, what, what did you think about Cora's aggressive managing? Yeah, I liked it. And I felt pretty similar to you, especially with um, Pavetta just for a second straight start, just didn't have it. Um, I'm not entirely sure if there's we need to be alarmed with this yet. Really was looking for him to bounce back. Um, but not letting it get any worse and turning it over to a bullpen to get um, five and two-thirds scoreless against um, the Yankees. That's a lot of innings to ask to get from your bullpen out of that, um, especially after coming off of extra innings the night before. Um, and... You know, made all the right moves. You know, Saramura, your boy, has <laughs> been pitching pretty good lately. Yeah, he really has. Um, But, yeah, I, I completely agree. I thought the moves – and, I mean, you mentioned this when we first started this stretch of games here, that Cora was basically managing these like they were playoff games. And he hasn't let up from that. He's He's been really aggressive in the way he's managing these games because he knows we need – the Red Sox need to get the wins. They need wins here. Um, they're they're currently first uh, in the wild card, uh, but Toronto and Tampa obviously hot on their heels, and now so is Baltimore and Seattle. Uh, this is this is going to be a huge, huge crowded race down the stretch, uh, and you're going to need to be able to nitpick wins wherever you can. Uh, the fact that top to bottom, the AL East is just a monster of a division Yeah, with these games now, including, um, the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I think they're only one game under 500 at this point, and they're only four back of the Red Sox <laughs> for, for the wild card, which means they're like two games back of, I think like Toronto and Tampa. Um, it is crowded. And they're going to need to be aggressive to make sure that when they see an opportunity to win a game, they attack it. And they don't think dog days of summer, it's still a long season. It's no, they need to be aggressive now and they need to, they need to take these W's when they can. So uh, I think he's doing the right thing. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I thought it was really freaking sweet to see uh, Chapman struggle um, as well in yeah. that game um and and to see the Red Sox come back against I think 
probably the best bullpen in baseball. I can't think of a single team who has a better bullpen uh, than the Yankees. And the fact that the Red Sox are basically the only team who's done this against the Yankees this year uh, is just tremendous mentally. And the fact that the Red Sox did this with an IL that includes the following players, uh, Nathan Eovaldi, Rich Hill, James Paxton, Chris Sale, Connor Siebold, Michael Walker, Garrett Whitlock, Matt Barnes, Tyler Danish, and Josh Taylor. Like, what? They did that without all of those guys. That has to just be the biggest lift. Uh, and I tweeted out that this team just has absolutely no quit in them um, during this series. And I think that, uh, you know, that's just proven by what they did here. And I think it's... uh. Tremendous. I, I I think these games were just so important here um, for the Red Sox mentally. I still don't exactly know, you know, where the season is going to go for the Red Sox. I think they still have a lot of things to weather, but the fact that they were able to get that split with me, I just think is is so much more important than just winning two baseball games out of four. It's a mental edge that I think the Red Sox are going to carry with them. And Trevor Story kind of said as much. He was interviewed post-game um, and just talked about kind of what a big series it was, what a big moment it was for him to be up there delivering that key hit to kind of break the game open in game four and to to end up with that split. I, I think that that matters a lot moving forward for their confidence. And, you know, I, I think you could argue we're seeing the results of that tonight with uh, – the Red Sox coming back from an early deficit against the Rays to tie it up five to five. And I know they're down seven to five right now as we're recording this, but it feels like the Red Sox aren't ever really out of a game. And you were kind of saying that when we were chatting before uh, getting on the podcast too, that, you know, it really doesn't feel like it matters that much how many runs they're down at this point. Yeah. And it even feels different when they went, they ran through that, that win streak of, uh, was it like whatever that they were in June? Um, 18 and four or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, because all of those wins, they basically immediately jumped out. They used their offense to jump out to a lead. There wasn't many games where they were fighting back. Uh, and obviously prior to that was <laughs> they'd go down one nothing in the first and it would completely kill the entire game. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to come back at all. They'd get shut down. They'd have like four hits, and there'd be there'd be nothing. And so it just feels completely different now. Um, it kind of feels like everything is clicking. They got the offense scoring a bunch of runs every night. Alex Spear had a quote after the series last night that in the previous uh, ten games for the Yankees coming into the series, they had allowed twenty six runs. In just the four games against the Red Sox, they had allowed twenty seven. So the Red Love Sox it. offense was just all over them. Uh, starting pitching struggled, but the bullpen really picked them up. And you know they got the two wins without Devers, and they just continued. No matter what the deficit was, they were able to come back. They came back twice in Game 3. Um, they came back from a huge hole in Game 4. They came back from a huge hole in Game 1. They just weren't quite able to top it off. Um, it was basically they came back from down five, nearly five runs, uh, twice and then the double comebacks in game three to win it in extras another five run comeback tonight uh or four run comeback tonight it just it feels different now doesn't it It just feels different than even just a couple weeks ago 
Yeah, and ideally, like, you wouldn't have starting pitchers who let you get in these holes, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the reality <laughs> when you have all of the guys who we just named uh, on the IL right now um, moving forward. But it's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, and, and I, I also have to do give a little bit of credit to Sawamura, who I've been very unimpressed with over the last couple of seasons. I think that Sawamura's stuff, particularly in the uh, two innings that he pitched, I think that was in game three. Um, The 93 mile an hour splitter is back. And I haven't seen his splitter look that good since the very first year that he was here. So I don't know whether he's figured something out mechanically or not, but that could be a huge development for the Red Sox if, if Sawamura can be the guy who he was initially when he first joined this team. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been his cheerleader all year. been saying he belongs, and he's been silently getting the job done. We've been calling for him to be axed. I'm glad you're, you're finally coming around to Team Sawamura. Yeah, I mean they need they need every righty they can get. So I'm happy to see him uh, doing well, and happy to see uh, Caleb Ort finally getting a shot as well for this team. Speaking of righties, what's going on with Tanner Houck? One appearance in the last eight days. Well, that appearance was pretty awesome, though. It was. But why aren't we getting more? Why aren't we getting more of him? I don't know. I'm a little unsure as to why. I mean, the Red Sox don't win that game without uh, Tanner Houck uh, pitching as well as he does, but um, I believe... You are correct, but it's, it's one in the last eight and three appearances in the last 16 days. Yeah. That's, I don't know. They, they've just stopped using him. What the hell's it going on? It is weird. It is really weird. I don't know what they're trying to do with, with Mr. Houck, but I agree with you. They need to be leaning on him more. Um. Let's talk about the Red Sox and Yankees, though, a little bit more here. The roster construction of these particular two teams. So unlike the Red Sox, the Yankees have had tremendous health this year. I'm not even sure if they've had a single starter miss really any time between Cole, Severino, Cortez, Jordan Montgomery, Jamison Tyon. Like those guys have pretty much been there for them all season. We've talked about how great their bullpen is with the emergence of Clay Holmes, Michael King. Um, you know, Chapman is pitching mid relief for that team. Now it's kind of crazy. Um, but when I look at the differences between the Red Sox and the Yankees, what stands out to me is the team defense, uh, for these two teams, uh, more than anything. I think obviously the starting pitching 
injuries that the Red Sox have is a pretty big deal. Um, and you'd, you'd rather have the stability that the Yankees have had in that department. But I think uh, the, the Yankees made a pretty uh, distinct choice this offseason. They decided to uh, part ways with Gary Sanchez and bring in uh, the combination of Jose Trevino, uh, which you know paid off immediately. He's a reserve all-star, and uh, you have a good defensive stat on Trevino. He's, what, second in baseball and defensive runs saved at this point? Yeah, second with 14, only behind Tommy Edmund. Yeah, so that's a whole hell of a lot better than the nightmare that was Gary Sanchez behind the plate. <laughs> yeah, it's a big difference. It's a huge difference. And then also, they all... pretty yeah. impressive that 14 has come in uh, about 300 less innings. than So, like, Trevino has been splitting time. He's not the full-time catcher for the Yankees. And, like, the guys that are in this, the, the all the everyone else basically in, like, the top 10 here has nearly 700 innings. Uh, and he's at 418, and um, he's at 14 defensive run saves. Uh, Tommy Evan has 16 in 300 more innings played. Wow. It's kind of impressive how good of a catcher he, he is. Yeah, he's really good. And and then, you know, they also decided to go after Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, make that trade. Uh, Kiner-Falefa, one of the best shortstop gloves in the entire game. At that position, um, adding Josh Donaldson, who is, I mean, when he's healthy, he's a great defender at third base. He's been pretty good for them. We all know what type of a defender Rizzo is uh, at first base, and we've seen what a difference that makes. Um, Joey Gallo is a hell of a defender for them. I mean, across the board, the Yankees have incredible defenders, and uh, you you pulled the numbers, Keaton. What are the what are the ranks in terms of the teams for for Boston and New York in terms of defensive runs saved? Well, New York is first in all of the major leagues. Uh, Boston is ninth. But interestingly enough, when I pulled up the ranks to take a look at this, the Yankees were first, the Orioles were second, and Toronto was third. Hmm. <laughs> Seems like there's something to that defense thing. Yeah. Tampa yeah. was 17th, which I thought was interesting. But, yeah, just uh, interesting to see a big cluster of AL East teams at the top. Yeah, really. It, I mean, it, it definitely is. And I think that this is something that the Red Sox would ideally uh, have in a better place than they do right now. But what stood out to me was uh, the defense from Jaron Duran, which we saw him take another hilariously bad route on a ball, which should have been caught uh, in center field. Um, his defense has been pretty horrible and, and markedly so. Uh, Red Sox stats tweeted out about him that uh, in 380 center field innings, uh, he's going to be like negative 10 defensive runs saved. Um, that's just god awful in center field. I mean, that's we've talked about it. He probably shouldn't be playing center field. He's probably built for a corner at this point, but. That's been really bad, and then the the first base tandem of Dahlbeck and Cordero is just horrendous uh, at first base. So minus eight. You, oh god! So how many positions are the Red Sox minus at right now? Catcher minus four. Okay. First base minus eight. Ugh. Third base minus one. Okay. Left field minus one. Center field minus two. Okay, and that minus two in center field is because Kike has been uh, on the shelf 
So that's that's not great. Kike, uh, we should note, we thought was close for a return. Um, went for a little bit of a, a rehab stint in Worcester and just wasn't feeling good. So he's probably not going to be back until after the All-Star break at this point. So, I mean, let's talk about how the Red Sox can fix this a little bit going forward. Um, once Kike comes back, should Duran end up sitting down? You've been a guy who's been really adamant that Duran ought to play. Is his defense bad enough that he should be taking a seat? No. His defense is bad enough that he should be playing left field. Uh, Kike in center, Verdugo in right, and then uh, JBJ can come in and be a defensive replacement, fourth outfielder for Jaron Duran in late innings when you need to make sure that you secure outs and wins at the end. His bat and speed is just so much better that I'm not taking it off the field for multiple at-bats. I'd rather get three at-bats at Duran, three slash four at-bats at Duran, and six defensive outs, three to six defensive outs of JBJ every night than, uh, you know, sending Duran down to, or putting him on the bench and not getting regular at-bats and getting three to four really bad at-bats from JBJ. And, I mean, his JBJ's defense is still really good, but it's not um, the, the JBJ defense of old. Um, it's yeah. still certainly above average, but it's it has lost a, a touch. Um, but I I still want Duran to get the at-bats, and his speed can make up for some of them. And you can put him in left field where he's not going to be uh, as much – I mean, left field is really easy to use the wall to your advantage. And it's really, uh, that's something that he can be taught how to use the wall. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have been able to use that to their advantage and basically use that uh, as an assist in a way in the outfield. Um, so that I think that's probably what they need to do is just give him the training wheels of the wall and left, keep him there. Um, certainly... <laughs> Center field and right field should be off limits. <laughs> I'm fully on board with that. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you need to trade him. Use him to trade him and send him somewhere else and get a, a somebody else in the outfield. But I, I still don't think JBJ should be getting everyday bats. So, I'm. I don't think JBJ should be getting everyday bats either. I agree with you there. Um, the bat is so bad at this point. It's just it's not playable. I think his roster spot is in significant danger at this point, especially when Kike comes back. I think they need to make a decision there, but I actually think that it's Rob Ref Snyder who needs to be getting more playing time. Um, right now, he's had 76 plate appearances for this team, pretty small sample size, but he's got a 167 WRC plus and has been playing really, really well. He's gotten a lot of starts in right field. He can play all three outfield positions. I actually think what I'd like to see when Kike comes back is Kike in center, Rob Ref Snyder getting most of the starts in uh, right field and uh, then leaving Verdugo in left field. What are your thoughts about giving Ref Snyder more playing time? Um, I don't mind, I guess, riding the hot streak. I don't think I mean this is far and away the best he has ever played baseball 
Totally. <laughs> so I, I don't mind riding the hot streak, but I would expect like a major correction to come here at some point, and then I think at that at that point you've ridden it out as much as you could. So you feel like he's ultimately just better used as a reserve bat. Yeah. Like that's his best role. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot to be argued for that. Um I don't love the idea of switching Verdugo to right field in the middle of the year because I think Verdugo, you know, is is pretty comfortable out in left field and I'm not sure Jaron Duran's bat is as good as it seems. Right now, I think there's definitely some regression to to be coming uh, for Duran, and I think we saw that a little bit here in this Yankees series. I mean, one of the games he went uh, 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. So um, he, he definitely hasn't looked great at the plate lately, um, so I'm still a little bit doubtful. I kind of lean towards trading Duran if there's something available there, but I don't know how much longer you can hold on to Jackie Bradley Jr., um, with that roster spot. And I also don't want to see uh, Christian Arroyo, who was just recently placed on the IL with a strained groin, ever playing the outfield again because he's become a meme from doing it. Did you see that? Of him just like <laughs> yes, losing the yes. ball? Yes, I did. It's so bad, man. And, you know, especially when the Red Sox have a guy like Jeter Downs on the 40-man roster. Hell, man, I kind of want to see Jeter down stick with his club, considering how slick his glove is, man. I think he's the best infielder that that they have as a backup option, basically anywhere. Yeah, I think you're right. But that's also kind of another reason why I think they should hold on to JBJ, because they have a ton of those utility infield guys. And I think you're mm-hmm. right. Arroyo's probably the better one. They don't have that for the outfield. Their outfield depth, like if we're talking about like strictly outfielders, is JBJ. Yeah, he still does play good defense, so I don't think his roster spot should be in danger because of that. I just think they have the it's those awkward infield utility guys that they keep putting in the outfield mm-hmm. that they maybe are a bit forcing a bit. Um, that I just think they need to kind of reel that in a bit and just start, you know. Having a, a fifth infielder, fourth outfielder kind of guy on the bench. I think they have enough room to play with that. So, Yeah, I think never seeing Arroyo in the outfield again would be ideal for me. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Um, all right, a couple other roster notes here. Uh, coming up, Chris Sale is going to get the start today as you are listening to this on Tuesday, uh, July 12th. Uh, I say today because... We're recording on the 11th, but you were listening on the 12th. Um, that's a big development. Also, Nathan Eovaldi is going to be back reportedly on Friday uh, against the Yankees. So that's a huge deal for the Red Sox as well. Uh, what do you think ends up happening when those two guys are added back? Uh, I think the, the sale one's probably pretty obvious. I would guess that either... Or or Valdez goes down. I hope it's Valdez because Ort has actually pitched pretty well. But how do they make the roster spot for Yavaldi? Yeah, that's probably the move. That makes sense to me. Which one? Valdez. Valdez for sale, but but what about for Yavaldi? Oh. Um Well, um, 
Prager really is never going to go away, is he? No, and he should, because I like Ort better. I wonder if it's Cutter Crawford going down again. I don't know, man. Crawford's actually looked kind of good. I know. I feel like he deserves to stay up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, after tonight, what do you think about Bayo? Maybe Bayo goes down. Ready? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's interesting, and I think we ought to probably talk about that. I mean, what do you think about Bayo? We've seen him for two starts now. Um, he hasn't been particularly sharp with his command. He he walked three guys tonight, struck out five, allowed five earned runs. Had a similarly rough outing um, in his first start where he just didn't have command of his uh, his changeup, which is his best pitch, really at all. I mean, what are your thoughts with Bayo? Do you think it's just a nerves thing, or do you think <clears> it's <throat> he still has a lot to work on? Well, I don't think he has a lot to work on because I see a lot that looks good. Right. I just, I just think that maybe it's not quite there. Um I mean, he just got his first taste of the high minors this year. He's pitched like what fifty innings between Double A and Triple A. That's yeah, that's a really small sample size. It may just have been too aggressive, too quick. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't really like they were forcing his hand. It was out of necessity, and he had just been dominating Double A and Triple A to that point. It wasn't really out of the realm of possibility. But I think this was seeing this was kind of like, yeah, okay, maybe not quite. Maybe he that that was you know not enough there at AAA. He still has some things that he can work on to be successful down there. Um, but it, I I don't think it's a lot to work on because in both starts, I've seen things that look really good. A lot of promising stuff there, like five strikeouts tonight. He was able to build on that. He was able to, um, you know, he gave up the five runs, but was able to follow that up. Um, that All that came in the first two innings. Um and he was able to follow that up with two much better innings, uh, which was similar to what he did in his first start. Gave up some runs, but then was able to come back out for a fourth inning, get a clean inning before being pulled there. Uh, same thing happened here. Rough first two innings, but then was able to calm himself down and get two nice innings after that. So um, the stuff is there. You can definitely see that he's got really good stuff. He's throwing 98. Um, he's able to work the strike zone. Like you mentioned, he did had some command issues here through the first couple innings, but the stuff is electric. You can see it's really good. He definitely has a future. This maybe not quite there yet. Yeah, I kind of want to see him stay up here, uh, you know, and, and not get sent down after this because both of these starts have come against the Rays. And one of the things we talked about on the Red Sox on Deck podcast when we recorded right after Bayo's first start is just how much the Rays um, platoon and and he's had trouble with lefties. Um, and so the Rays just threw basically an entire lineup of lefties at him twice. Um, and not every team has the ability to do that. The Rays are kind of unique in their ability to do that. So I think like, I kind of want to see Bayo against regular teams, not yeah. Tampa and the Yankees and, you know, these like <laughs> outlier excellent teams you know like what can Bayo do against the royals i bet a lot yeah true 
But there's you also know? something to figuring this stuff out at the majors. If he really has nothing else to prove at AAA, then he just may need to work these kinks out at the majors, which is not necessarily a bad thing because these are the guys he's going to need to face. So, yeah, I totally get that. I can see that. Pros and cons there. Yeah. Totally. I think I also want to see him stay, ultimately. I just wonder if that might be the move that the Red Sox make. Yeah. I I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if it was the move. Uh, in, in other news, Garrett Whitlock is uh, set to make a final rehab appearance at Portland and then rejoin the club shortly thereafter. So it seems like, like Whitlock is going to be back somewhere between Wednesday and the weekend. So he should be back for the Yankees series. Um, so, you know, that's another big piece. There's a lot of roster moves that are going to have to be made uh, with this Red Sox team coming up in in the next few days here. So, um it's going to be really interesting to watch and, you know, see how this, how this stretch kind of plays out and and what they do moving forward. But um, yeah, lots of, lots of stuff. Uh, I guess uh, one more minor note for the roster. Uh, Kevin Pilecki is on the COVID IL and Connor Wong is up with the big club. Um, Not really any sort of a, big thing to be concerned about there because Connor Wong might actually be better than Kevin Polecki at this point in his career. Interesting. You gone? Are you off the plaster? I'm off the plaster. He's been really bad in terms of uh, his uh, defensive metrics this year. Um, so basically all the plaster is doing is giving me good game calling and, uh, nothing else. So I kind of want to see the more athletic Connor Wong get some play. They were just talking about defense. Dahlbeck just dropped a pop-up at third right in the heel of the glove. Bloop. I'd be totally fine with him <laughs> being traded uh, during this all Does that all-star lead into break. a listener question? I, I think I think it probably does. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's get to some listener questions here because we are we are going a little bit long here talking about all this stuff. Um, all right. So ah, let's get to that listener question. Yeah, uh, that's Richard Carpenos says, why waste time with uh, Bayo at this point? And why are Duran and Dahlbeck on the roster? We already talked about Bayo and Duran, but Dahlbeck's roster spot. Um, why is Dahlbeck still on this roster? What do you think is his purpose at this point? He's been god awful. Yeah, um, large right-handed hitter. They don't have anybody else. Maybe like they're he's... hoping Casas would be a little bit further along, but he's <laughs> not quite there yet. He's large in that he's a target for the pitchers to hit, so that's the only way he can get on base is if he actually gets hit by the ball. <laughs> yeah. Remember I think when it's... he had like six home runs this spring training and everybody was like, nah, just kidding, we got psyched out last year, but this is the year. Not me. I was not fooled. Not, not this, this year. Time. You won't yeah. get fooled again. Fool me once. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't think Dahlbeck is long for this team, to be honest. I think that if anybody is interested in taking a flyer on Dahlbeck and the Red Sox can get you know, a, a useful piece back for him, I think we have – I don't want to say it's a Michael Chavis-like situation, but it's like it's almost a Michael Chavis situation. Don't hurt me like that. Why are you going to yeah. do that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. Fool he me belongs once. on a different club. Shame on you. But teach a man to fool me, and I'll be fooled for the rest of my life. 
Um, next question comes from Agua uh, Susia. He says, what is the meaning of life? Uh, I think it depends on who you ask. If you ask a Buddhist, it would be suffering. Sure, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and uh, a Christian, salvation. And uh, yeah, all right. It just depends on who you ask. But um, definitely watching this bullpen is suffering. So I can accept that noble truth. And the defense. And the defense. Uh, Brother Bob has our next question. How big are the two wins against the Yankees in splitting the series? Brother Bob. Very. First half of the podcast. Uh, RF Flans has our next question. He says, what is the number one need at the trade deadline? And what are we willing to give up to get it? What do you think the number one need is? Pen. Bullpen? Bullpen over first base? Yes. Even with Whitlock coming back? Yeah. Well, yeah, because this is driving me nuts. We didn't really get into this. But so the plan for Whitlock when he comes back is to not use him in high leverage situations. They're going to use him in long relief. So they're going to use him in like two to three inning stints and then give him two to three days off after that, depending on how many innings they ended up using him. I hate that. I hate it so goddamn much. So, yeah, if they're still not going to do that and then whatever they're doing with Hauk right now, go get somebody reliable for the back end of the bullpen so you can close out these goddamn games. It's a nightmare. Talk about suffering. Good God. Yeah, I'm with you, Keaton. I think it's definitely bullpen. I would say that the more I watch uh, Dahlbeck and Cordero field, though, the more angry I get and the more I want a real first baseman. But I would still say it's it's outfield or uh, bullpen. I would say... Outfield does not really need to be addressed to me, especially with Kiki nah. coming back here. I don't not think that's as urgently. Yeah, like it's definitely a thing that needs to be addressed. Certainly this off season, um, but I don't, I don't know if it's worth dumping a ton of resources in. Yeah. Um, all right. Next question comes from Spencer. He says, "I live in Southie, and I'm worried about Ref Snyder destroying my windshield." Uh, how much is too much for extra car insurance? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, depending on, um, I would say nowhere's safe and no, no much is, is too much based on how hard and how far he hit that one. I wouldn't feel safe. No, I wouldn't either. That sucker was crushed. Um, next one comes from house of Kuzu. He says, would you give up York Chris Murphy and Seabold for Reynolds and Bednar from Pittsburgh. Yeah, yes, I would. Pittsburgh wouldn't, though. Yeah, I don't think Pittsburgh would take an injured Seabold, a fringy starter in Murphy, and Nick York, who's having a down year, for uh, an all-star, two all-stars, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to pay a little bit more for that. Maybe, uh, maybe add Duran to that deal and take out Seabold, and then you probably have yourself a deal. I mean, you even talked about adding in Hauk in there, too. Yeah, I don't think you'd have to add Duran, Hauk, and York. I think that would probably be an overpay. Um, But I think definitely two of those three. Maybe they want Talbot. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) They want Talbot and Chavis. I was going to say, if you were just comparing him to Chavis, Chavis have a nice little season for himself. Don't you hate too much. 
Oh my god. If if anybody wanted Dahlbeck and Chavis, I would really question their life choices. Hey man, this Red Sox team at one point wanted both. So Yep, that's tough. That is tough. Um, next question comes from Maddie, and uh, he or she, I'm not sure, says, seeing Bayo struggling again, uh, wouldn't it be better for him to go back down and work on control once an Eovaldi and co. return? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, that kind of has surprised me in these two starts because command really hasn't been a huge issue uh, for him down in AAA or AA this year how big of an issue that has been uh, in his first two major league starts. What do you make of that, Keaton? Is it just uh, nerves or what? I mean, it feels like it. It feels like maybe he's just trying to, like, he knows he's going against, you know, the toughest of the tough competition. So he's just overcompensating by trying to nitpick around the zone and it's just not hitting. I think he'll figure that out. I'm not super concerned. Yeah. I I have to think he's he's going to figure that out because – He's really good, and yeah. he's super athletic, and his delivery is very repeatable. I, I don't know. This feels a little fluky to me. So yeah. um, I wouldn't be upset if he went down. I just think I would rather see him try and figure it out at the major league level. So, yeah. Uh, Dan Taro has our last question. He says, uh, Downs is future. What is it? What do you think Downs' future is with this Red Sox team? Or is it with this Red Sox team? You want you want to talk about suffering? Really we really want to get deep in with the suffering? His future is the everyday second baseman after Bogart's walks and story is at short. Oh. Oh God. Why did you have to end the podcast like that? Just, I just wanted to see your reaction. <laughs> that was really cool. <laughs> it fit the theme. You know what? Um, whose jersey I'm wearing right now? By the way, for Bogarts? no bets. Uh, oh, good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna pull out someone random, and I mean my <laughs> my go to was gonna be like Jason Bay, <laughs> <laughs> J Bay Bay. Yeah. Um, I think Downs is future with this team if he doesn't get traded which i think there's a possibility he gets traded but i actually think downs would be a super valuable like brock holt type for the team that's good he'd be great like guy to come in he plays really good defense and i don't know i think he has the ceiling of a regular i i do think he could be eventually it was pretty impressive what was that pitch from from chapman like 101 do you got the barrel on? I mean, he's got bat speed. He's yeah. He's okay. There's definitely you look at him and you're like, okay, you totally understand why the Red Sox wanted this guy back in the bets trade because there's a lot of interesting pieces there. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to completely ignore Keaton's comment about Xander Bogarts and not address it in hopes that it goes away. And uh, yeah, Keaton, thanks for joining me for this podcast. You're welcome. You can follow us. (laughs) 
on Twitter. <laughs> you can follow Keaton at the Smoking Keats. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake. You can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. You can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, it is the Over the Monster podcast. If you subscribe to this show, you will get both uh, this show, The Red Seat. You will get Keaton and Bailey's show, uh, which is called the Red Sox Precap. Red Sox Precap. And you will get uh, Bob and Shelly's show, Red Sox on Deck. So they'll all come to the same feed. Rate and review us uh, on Apple uh, if you can. Uh, give us five-star review. We'd appreciate that. And uh, tell people about the show. So thanks very much, everybody. And enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>